Good morning, church. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for sharing your testimony. God is on the move. <laughs> the world can shut down and God is still going to rescue people out of darkness and bring them into his marvelous light. I have the distinct privilege of preaching on the doctrine of salvation today. Our text is going to be Romans chapter 8, just two verses, verses 29 and 30. Our main point this morning is that our blessed God's saving work empowers us for humble, happy, and hopeful living. I'm going to read the text, pray, and then we're going to jump into it. This is God's holy and authoritative word. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Oh, Heavenly Father, would you fill me with your spirit now, God? Uh, would you allow me to preach this text with authority and joy and passion and clarity? Lord, you are the God who saves. Allow me to communicate that to these people. And would you bless this church this morning? Would you bless the preaching of your word? Amen. There are so many ideologies being tossed at us today. Many worldviews are vying for our attention each and every moment of every single day. The world tells us this, you are enough. Your feelings are authoritative. Who's to say what's right and what's wrong? Live your truth, right? Be happy. Don't let anyone tell you that you're wrong. And it's not working. People are not finding fulfillment and hope in themselves. Depression is on the rise. Mental health is plummeting. We are not good at self-sufficiency. There is always a longing for more. There's got to be something more than this. Phoebe Bridgers is an uh, indie rock artist. She's younger. She's about 26 years old. And uh, she's been around for a little bit, but has been gaining popularity and has been on the rise She's recently been nominated for four Grammys and has received other awards and things for like best rock performance and song, alternative music album of the year, and best new artist. So she's doing pretty well. I was listening to one of her songs called Chinese Satellite, and in it she begins uh, talking about evangelicals, and there's a certain longing, and I'm like, what, what's going on in this song? And so in my nerdy self, I look up some interviews and kind of dive in to see if there's any commentary that she provided. And this is what she said. If I'm being honest, this song is about turning 11 and not getting a letter from Hogwarts. Just realizing that nobody's going to save me from my life. Nobody's going to wake me up and be like, hey, just kidding. Actually, it's really a lot more special than this, and you're special. No, I'm going to be the way that I am forever. I mean, secretly, I am still waiting on that letter, which is also part of the song, that I want someone to shake me awake in the middle of the night and be like, come with me. It's actually totally different than you ever thought. 
That'd be sweet. Church, there is more. There is a happy hope for the Christian. We are not going to be this way forever. Life is a lot more special than it seems, but it doesn't come from where we typically think. It's not from magnifying our self-worth. It's not denying any and all forms of authority. The happy life of the Christian is rooted in the authority of God's holy word. With everyone clamoring for their own authority on truth, church, we must know and stand firm on what real truth is. And the truth is, we are fallen, and we are sinful, and we need a redeemer. And that redeemer has revealed himself to us, and there is hope and life and salvation found in him. So if we are to be gospel-centered and have the gospel inform every aspect of our lives, then we must know clearly what the gospel is. We must know what is of first importance and what exactly it is that God has done for us. When we speak of the glories of the gospel, we need to know what actually makes it glorious. And so in this passage, Paul is wrapping up this glorious section of Romans chapter 8, in which he is just lovingly just giving the church over and over and over again, just hammering them on the head with glorious promise after glorious promise of truth and the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No condemnation. You are adopted. The Spirit of God lives in you. And he tells them of the hopeful new life we have because of what our God has done. And here in this section, verses 29 and 30, we have a clear and concise doctrine of salvation where he walks through what God has done for the Christian and what it means for our future. Our blessed God's saving work empowers us for humble, happy, and hopeful living. We need to know, believe, and experience this. Well, what does life look like if we don't know this? Life becomes mundane, uneventful, sorrowful. We lack gratitude when we could be beaming with joy constantly. When these truths are with us, we can wake up each morning and proclaim, I am going to heaven. I'm not going to hell, though I am a sinner, though that is what I deserve. I'm not going to hell because I have a God who is steadfast in love. And abounding with joyful mercy toward me, his affections have been set on me. That is our truth each and every morning. But instead, we get our affections and attentions pulled to other things. We have our minds set on earthly and worldly matters. Or we act as if we've brought something to the table, however small it may be, right? Lord, I I did my devotions this morning, or... Well, God, didn't I, did you notice that I brought this person a meal earlier last week? I really blessed them. Doesn't that contribute to my salvation? We want so badly to contribute to our salvation, and so we work ourselves over and over and over, exhausting ourselves, trying to earn favor with God when he already loves us more than we could imagine, trying to earn favor that we already have. When we don't know this, life lacks joy. We disconnect our future certainty from our current reality. And our current reality, be it filled with suffering or hardship, letdowns from non-perfect people, financial strains and issues, health issues, whatever it may be, 
we have to keep it connected to our certain future. And a solid understanding of the doctrine of our salvation will help us do that. This text is nothing but hope. God is the one who does the work. God is going to get done what he desires. And here's the happy hope for the Christian. This is our text. He foreknew you, predestined you to conform you to the image of his son, brought you into his family. He called you, justified you, and glorified you. All these beautiful things God has done to you and for you, for his glory, ought to stop us and and make us say, I can go another day. I can make it through this suffering because I am his forever. God's saving work ignites happy, transformative hope in the Christian life. We're talking about the doctrine of salvation. And so in our statement of faith, here's how the gospel reads in it. It says this, the gospel stands as the core message of the Bible, which in all its parts testifies to God's saving acts culminating in the person and work of Christ. This good news is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, providing hope for the lost and abiding comfort and strength for the believer. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. I've got two headings this morning. One, the divine act of salvation, where we just are going to look at what the text says and respond to that. And then we're going to look at salvation's effect on the Christian. That's heading number two. So heading number one, the divine act of salvation. Let me read the text one more time. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God does the work. We get the blessing. We are sinners. We are not holy. Yet God is. And this is the problem. We cannot be in his family in our unregenerate state. Our sin is so anti-God that we literally can do absolutely nothing to cleanse ourselves of our unrighteousness. We cannot bring ourselves into his fold. We are powerless to save ourselves. Again, reading from the statement of faith that highlights God is the one who does the work. It says the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and all that he did in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension to accomplish salvation for humanity. Therefore, listen to this, the gospel is not a human action or achievement, but rather an objective, historical, divine achievement that remains true and unchanging regardless of human opinion or response. He's the one doing it. We experience it. We become the sanctified ones. Those who are unable to be condemned, not now and not ever, we are holy, set apart, being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, blameless, acceptable, those in whom God delights, protected for eternity from the wrath we deserve, and now we live in an awareness of that truth, to be happy, humble, and hopeful Christians, because God did it. So under this heading, we're going to look at each statement from this glorious text, praise God for what it means, and then we'll look at his salvation's effect on our lives. Number one, 
those whom he foreknew. To know. God knows you. And this is not simply an I know of this person or I am familiar or acquainted with this person. It is much deeper than that. Tom Schreiner helps us here. He says, to know refers to his covenantal love in which he sets his affection on those whom he has chosen. God has set his affection on you. It is so hard for us to believe how much he loves us. It goes against every instinct we have to relinquish control or contribution to our salvation. We really, really want to have a hand in our secured eternity. But listen, church, all God calls us to do is to come to him. Our job is to be weary and needy and to be in need of saving. I've checked all of those boxes off. And so we just come to him and rest in the beautiful finished work of Jesus Christ. Again, Schreiner is helpful here. He says, uh, the verse before this is that God works together all things for the good of those who trust in him. He says, the good is achieved when believers are conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. The call refers to God's work in history by which he summons through some the gospel to himself. Those whom God called, he also justified. This verb denotes God's saving activity by which believers are made right with God. Number two, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is sanctification, progressive sanctification, the fact that God is continually making us more holy, transforming us into the likeness of his son. His saving power dismantles our darkened hearts. The statement of faith again, all believers by virtue of their union with Christ are progressively transformed into his image. Although the ruling power of sin in our lives has been broken, remnants of corruption remain in our hearts that we will fight throughout our lives. We are not just fighting really hard to make ourselves holy in our own might. You are doing the work of sanctification with the power of God on your side. Do not say, I am too weak to fight this sin or I have no power to ward off this temptation. No, we kill our pride with the same power of the spirit who raised Christ from the dead. The text says God predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. He will do it. Though it must be said, this is not an anti-pursuit of holiness, nor is this anti-obedience, which we're going to cover under our second heading. Phrase number three, that he is uh, referring to Jesus Christ, that he, Jesus Christ, might be firstborn among many brothers. There's a lot in that sentence, but one of the, the thing I'm going to draw out here is that for Christ to be the firstborn among many brothers means that we are brought into the family of God. Adopted as the father's sons, Christ, our elder brother. This is the privilege and joy of adoption, that Christ is our elder brother. We're not just saved and chosen and then tolerated, kind of like a, y'all go play in the back while the important ones get the real work done. No. He says, you are now my beloved son. You are now my beloved daughter. I will conform you to the image of my son, the Christ, and it will be glorious. 
We are brought into his family. Number four, those he predestined, he called. God in his kindness called us. We weren't looking for him. We wanted nothing to do with him. And he beckoned us. And he called us in. Simply out of his love. We are not bringing anything to the table that makes God say, oh, I need that. I've got to save that person. No, it is an overflow from his love that he would choose us before the foundation of the world. Number five, those he called, he justified. Your status, if you are in Christ, is this. Guiltless, clean, not condemned. Your sin cannot put Jesus back in the grave. But listen, I know the more we love Christ and the more we see how truly beautiful and glorious he is, the more aware we are of how much we fall short. But listen, his mercy, his mercy is greater than your sin. Jesus really is that loving. The Father truly is that forgiving. Jesus did not pay most of it. Jesus paid all of it. So rest in his finished work. Number six, those he justified, he glorified. All of our suffering, our hardship, hatred that dwells within us, sorrow or hatred we receive, grief and exhaustion will end. Those trials that right now in this moment seem timeless, seem never ending, they seem timeless, but they are temporary. Our God promises to keep you, to carry you, to restore you, and to bring you comfort. All we have to do is keep on reading verses 31 through 39. This is after Paul has just talked about the glory of our salvation. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and listen, church, I know this is a familiar verse, but do not let the familiarity rob you of its power. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Here's our certainty, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, or powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing at all will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We know our time here is limited. Our salvation guarantees this. It guarantees this, that our future is better than our past. <laughs> I love this. Our eternity will be infinitely better than our greatest moments here on earth. And it's certainly going to be greater than our worst moments. Guys, if, if you are here and you have not trusted in Jesus... If you have not responded to the call, please do it. There is so much glory and hope that awaits for you, and all you have to do is come to him and lay down your pride, lay down your life, and commit yourself to the way of the Lord. And church, if our blessed salvation ever starts to make sense to us, we've lost sight of what the Bible actually says. What God has done, he will finish. This doctrine ought to make us happy, humble, and hopeful, overjoyed at the reality of how salvation works. The way salvation works is amazing to the Christian. It is fantastic. It is not some theological, heady knowledge. No, it is glorious, and it is marvelous. And we benefit from his amazing love, which calls us to live a certain way, which is heading number two, salvation's effect on the Christian. To be happy, to be humble, to be hopeful, to have, to, to, to be full of wonder. So what do we do? We express gratitude. We give thanks to God for all he has done. We do not forget the deeds of the Lord. That's what the Psalms call us to over and over and over again. Recount the deeds of the Lord's, tell of his salvation from day to day. God requires humility from us. We did not earn this or complete this. He did it. We are the recipients of grace, of this marvelous grace, and we cannot boast about that. But when this life functions close to our hearts, this is what it looks like. We are happy and in complete and utter shock that we get to be counted among God's worshipers, that he saved us, and all we had to do was believe. Are you kidding me? That's what we need to do is believe what he's revealed? And then we're saved? Yes! <laughs> we are humble. God, again, he's not wiping his brow and saying, man, I do not know what I would have done without JT. No, he would have been just fine. And it's not like I did anything that compelled or moved God to say, ah, okay, well now I have to rescue him and adopt him and bring him in. No, our God is neither begrudging nor is he needy. He joyfully brings us in. And that causes us delight and humility. We are hopeful. The verse right before this says that things are working together for our good. We are being conformed to the image of his son. Like, that's happening. 
God says he's going to do that, so he's going to do that. Once he saves us, he promises to sanctify us. We work in conjunction with the Spirit, and it is a happy journey, though it is one filled with suffering for a little while. But we're hopeful because we are growing in Christ. Like, you are. One degree of glory to the next. And we live in the joy of that. I am more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. It's glorious. He restores, revives, and redeems, and we rest in his power. And this takes us to a happy obedience that is motivated by the grace we receive. We ought to, because of the truth, because of the doctrine of salvation, we ought to obey his statutes and press into him out of the abundance of grace that you have received. We tell people of the salvation that is available. We have to evangelize. We have to bring people in, tell them of God's deeds, because there is no other name by which people can be saved. We have to tell somebody. We press into the means of grace that God sanctifies us through, the word of God, prayer, fellowship with believers. We commune with God and interact with him. We have to obey. The statement of faith says it like this. I've got two sections here. Resting in Christ's finished work never renders our effort unnecessary, but rather enables the joyful pursuit of loving and pleasing God. Although such actions are not the ground of our salvation, they demonstrate the authenticity of our salvation and are a means by which God keeps us faithful to the end. In what area of your life do you want to be a more authentic Christian? Is it in your speech? Do you desire your speech to not be divisive? Is it how you spend your money? Is it how you think about money? Do you have a desire to be more generous? Is it how you love those in your life who are difficult to love? Whatever it is, if you focus on one area to grow in these coming months, think of how much happier in Christ you would be and how your life would present a Christianity that is more authentic, more attractive, and is glorifying to God. So here's what we do, church. We read and we tell of his salvation. We express specific gratitude for what God has done. We allow these truths and the joy found in these truths to infiltrate your friendships. Our talk and our speech should reflect that of those who have been given much more than they deserve. Cynicism dies in the happy doctrine of salvation. All we have and own is a gift. Evangelism, the news is so good, we, we must tell it and proclaim it to others. The, the joy is that anyone can get in on this. And we've got to let people know the specifics and the glory and the beauty of our salvation. We cannot compartmentalize our lives or maybe just do a little church here and there or, or put on and live in these grace and truths when they are convenient for us. No, this is our all-encompassing joy and delight. It must consume our affection. And I'll close with this. Just some reflections. It is amazing. God relishes us 
with the free gift of grace and salvation and new life and eternal hope. And all he asks of us is to dedicate our lives to him. Commit our ways to follow the Lord. We authenticate our faith when our actions line up with who God is. Our actions don't save us, but we know you are saved by the way you live. There's going to be an evidence of a life transformed by this magnificent grace. So church, we gather, we love the gospel, we celebrate the glory of Christ, we live lives of happy obedience, empowered by the Holy Spirit, knowing that we are saved and justified and that nothing can take that from us. And we tell others about this glorious salvation and we make disciples. God requires us to live with an emboldened and joyful hope in the gospel that we proclaim. To be the happy community of people who have fully trusted in Christ and live lives with an overflowing love for others from the love that we have received. Our salvation makes us happy, hopeful, and a humble people. Praise be to God. Amen.